iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. Good evening and welcome to the Apple Store Soho. We're very pleased that you can join us for tonight's special event, uh, Meet the Filmmaker, uh, filmmakers I should say. Uh, we have the director and screenwriters of the new film, 500 Days of Summer, uh, who will be coming out in just a little while. Uh, Meet the Filmmaker brings you up close and personal with today's top filmmakers. And you can find this podcast on iTunes. Just search for Meet the Filmmaker. 500 Days of Summer is the story of boy meets girl, Boy falls in love, girl doesn't. When Tom, a hapless greeting card copywriter and hopeless romantic, is blindsided after his girlfriend Summer dumps him, he shifts back and forth through various periods of their 500 days together to try to figure out where things went wrong. His reflections ultimately lead him to finally rediscover his true passions in life. Enjoy the film's trailer. I love the Smiths. Sorry? I said I love the Smiths. You've, you've good taste in music. You like the Smiths? Yeah. To die by your side is such a heavenly way to die. I love them. Holy. This is a story of boy meets girl. They made a statue of us. The boy, Tom Hansen, grew up believing that he'd never truly be happy until the day he met the one. The girl, Summer Finn, did not share this belief. You should know up front, this is not a love story. I think we should stop seeing each other. Just like that? Just like that. Start from the beginning and tell us what happened. I tried to talk to her in the copy room. She's totally not having maybe it. Maybe she was just in a hurry. And maybe she's an uppity better than everyone super skank. In college, they called me perfectly adequate Hanson. He used to call me anal girl. I was very neat and organized. See you, boyfriend? No. Who needs it? We're young. Might as well have fun while we can. Wait, wait. What happens if you fall in love? You don't believe that, do you? What? It's love, it's not Santa Claus. What I want, you got be hard to handle. I think it's official. I'm in love with Summer. I love how she makes me feel. Did you ever even have a boyfriend? Of course. What happened? Why, why didn't they work out? What always happens? Life. Get over her. I don't want to get over her. I want to get her back. We've been like Sid and Nancy for months now. We have some disagreements, but I hardly think I'm Sid Vicious. No, I'm Sid. Oh, so I'm Nancy. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome director Mark Webb, screenwriters Scott uh, Neustetter, and Michael Weber. Hello, Apple Store. Hello, screenwriters and director. What's up? Thanks Hi. for coming, everybody. Hi. So I have to ask you guys, everyone has been through a summer-type situation in their lives, or uh, if they're not, they're lying about it. 
kind of what inspired this whole story and how did you guys come up with it? You want to take this one? We, um, Scott and I were working together uh, at a film production company uh, here in New York, actually. He hired me as an intern. And uh, we were writing separately and, um, I don't know, just sort of riffing on the scripts we were reading. We started writing together. Um, sometime after that, uh, you went through uh, a horrendous breakup. You should probably pick up the thread here. I'm telling your story now. <laughs> Has anyone seen the movie and that was watching? Yeah. So it's, it's a love story, sort of. Uh, and yet it's not a love story. It's kind of about heartbreak and about love as a, as a construct. Uh, and the inspiration for it was that I was going through some, some stuff. And um, we'd always wanted to write this kind of a movie, a relationshipy sort of thing. But we never had the dramatic kind of relationship that we were going to write about until... Um, uh, I had, uh, yeah, this thing happened to me. And, uh, and then we wrote it, and um, we never really thought anyone would ever uh, read it, because it was kind of a private thing. Um, but we uh, finally got the nerve up to show it to people, and, um, and, and now uh, here we are, and it's, it's pretty awesome. Did you, how did you come up with the nonlinear story? Was it always constructed this way, or... Yeah, it was, it was always told um, out of sequence, um, sort of in this way, almost exactly uh, in a way, with a few exceptions. Um, be because it was a personal story, the, it would have been a very long-winded diary entry about my heartbreak uh, that no one would have ever cared about. Um, but I had this sort of idea one morning, like, or maybe it was the middle of the night, I was like, what if we did this? And I sent you an email that was kind of like exactly um, what the movie sort of turned out to be. and um, You had rented or bought that movie uh, 32 short films about Glenn Gould. Yeah, I didn't watch it but I, it, I had it on the shelf and I remember looking at it being like that would be a really interesting way to tell like a simple Hollywood like romantic comedy love story movie um, but we could get a lot of stuff out of it if we did it in this sort of way and um, it enabled us to sort of explore lots of things and, and it made the made the jokes funnier and made the sort of heartache uh, more dramatic. So um, it really worked for what we were trying to do. As a writer, I'm curious, what is your writing process like when it's the two of you? Do you guys email back and forth? Do you text message? Like, do you sit in a room together and you, just, They write you know? it by text. <laughs> <laughs> you should Very see Twitter, 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 Twitter process. Process. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, thousands of texts per month. No, we, um, it's a lot of phone calls, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of email. We don't live in the same city. We actually... We've never written together in the same room. Um, I don't know how any, uh, apparently most writing teams actually do that. I don't know how would they get anything accomplished that way. Um, we, uh, a lot of phone calls, uh, we will outline extensively uh, to the point where we can then start to divide up scenes and then start writing and email back and forth. And Mark, has, uh, what, what made you say this is going to be my movie debut? This is it. Uh, well, I read the script and um, it was something that um, I haven't been a fan of romantic comedies lately, necessarily. I, I'm not a hater. It's just I don't relate to them typically. And um, when Mason Novak, who's one of the producers, gave me the script, I put it in my backpack because I was like, yeah, this is probably not for me. I'm, I'm like, I'm a dude. I, I, I like dude things. Dudes have nothing to do with romantic comedies. And uh, then I turned it up, open. I started reading it. And I was like, oh, these guys kind of feel like the same way I do about this. And and. Uh, I remember putting down the script, and I was like, I've been there. I know what this is. Um, there was certain technical challenges which were really appealing, uh, but also it just felt human. It felt like I had a soul. I related to it. It was just really that simple. How did you guys make such a, I mean, the romantic comedy genre is, and I'll say this so you don't have to say it, is pretty much played out. 
and you know exactly how it's going to end by the time it starts, so, or by the time you even see the trailer. So how did you guys make something this kind of offbeat and original and not really even a romantic comedy at all? We had set certain rules for ourselves. One was um, everything had to come from a real place. Even if someone's um, you know, going to be dancing down the street with a big musical number and there's a cartoon bird at one point, um, it still had to come from a real place and be, be grounded, uh, at least emotionally. And, and um, I think that the way that Hollywood's been making these things, they'll get two actors and they'll come up with some kind of thing that keeps them apart for an hour and a half. And then she lives on a farm. And then he the goes thing goes to, away. Like, the jungle. Yeah. As simple as that. And we kind of avoided all those things. But at the same time, we, we sort of love the, the ideas behind all that stuff. I mean, when a romantic comedy is good, uh, and there have they've been a ton of great ones, we love them. Uh, so uh, we're also very influenced by watching them. And, and I think that I at least uh, certainly believed in all those things. And um, we couldn't write one without referencing the fact that uh, they manipulate you to believe a certain way. Uh, and so those are all the things that we were trying to explore when we were writing this. There's a common thread. The ones we love, we love because we relate to them. We see ourselves, we see our experiences, our exes, our friends, the people we care about. Um, there, there's another kind out there that I, I don't know who relates to. Um, I've been on a date to the aquarium. I've never gotten bit by a dolphin or like... Oh, it happens to me every week, really? Just, well... I get attacked by kangaroos. I all thought the time. that was you, but um, I, I don't know these wacky set pieces that are in some of these other uh, romantic comedies. It's unfortunately given romantic comedies it's become a like a a dirty word, like a, a yeah. People people have been really loyal to a formula that was established years and years and years ago, and it's it's such a good formula typically that it just got kind of played out, and like people relied on it and stopped relying on where it was coming from, which was. A very genuine place. I mean, most romantic comedies think have a genuine desire to contemplate love and relationships, mm -hmm. but they do it in a way that is unrealistic and loses its res resonance for I think people who like me. Can and you guys talk? You. Can, uh, can you guys talk about the casting because it really is like the, the the two obviously the two the two leads have major chemistry and you can't know that when you start shooting. So can you talk about how you how you found your summer, for example? Sure. Well, we can't. I mean. Um, you can't, you're right, you, you, you never really know, but, but Joe and Zoe had been in a movie together called Manic, and they, uh, I, I met Joe down the street here in New York uh, probably like three years ago, and, or almost three years ago, and we had a conversation. We, uh, I, even though we cast Summer, I met Joe first, and, and we, had a, we had a conversation about like who, you know, who he would think could play Summer, um, and he uh, you know, went through some obvious sort of big you know, star names, and then he's like, really, the the person who, who who would be best for this is Zoe, in this look in his eyes, and it was a really very <laughs> sweet uh, look, and it was sort of like, that's what the movie is about, you need that to function on, and, and I met Zoe, uh, but then he, he actually, it's interesting, because he was like, he, after he said that, he like got depressed, it was like, well, no one will ever make a movie with us, because we're not, you know, big, huge stars, and he sort of discarded it, that possibility, but, and then I met Zoe shortly after, and we, um, she was fantastic. But I think the, the important thing for a movie like this is you have to cast the chemistry, you have to cast the dynamic. And uh, those guys, I knew, they had known each other for 10 years. Um, and they had a rapport, which was really fantastic. And, and it, was, it was, I think, that, that was our sort of coup, I think, was, was casting that couple. How many summers did you guys contemplate? Because she really is, if, if summer doesn't work, the movie doesn't work. I'm so glad Dame Judi Dench passed. <laughs> or Helen Mirren. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yes. 
We went, I don't know, like we, we talked to... We talked to a lot, a lot of people. I mean, it was, it, there was a lot of names in the conversation, but it was like, it, it became very clear that Zoe was the right woman very quickly. And Mark, you came from the music world. Can you talk about the music in the film and how it plays into it? Sure. Well, I mean, all of us are music fans. You know, these guys, were, these guys were, except, for except for Weber, hates music. <laughs> it's the weird thing. You just like, no. I'm dead but, inside. Go on. <laughs> the... Uh, they, they wrote in the Smiths and Hall and & Oates and a lot of them, they had music cues for, for basically every scene. Um, and we, we, we worked some of those, but you know, I had done music videos for eight or nine years before we, we shot this and it just seemed, you know, half of the cinema going experience is, is what goes in your ears. And that was, uh, you know, it obviously paid a, a big part in that. I mean, you, you know, I think you talk about relationships having a soundtrack. I mean, this is, I think, a good example of that. Yeah, the the you can't really tell a relationship story without thinking about m how music plays into it. I think you know when you every wedding has a song and the, the music plays a huge part in relationships. And so uh, you know you're never supposed to put songs into screenplays. That's sort of like one of the rules. They can we we ignore that, and uh, we just felt like like every other rule we were breaking, it was okay in this case because we were doing something very specific. Yeah, it's an interesting thing too. Like you people, like you know that scene in the trailer he like sees her and he likes to say she likes to say music as he, as he does and he thinks it's this magnificent yeah. thing and the very next scene which you don't see here is his little sister saying you know just cause same, some cute girl likes the same bizarro crap you do doesn't make you a soulmate which is really an important theme in the movie uh, and, and it's like it's, it, the music kind of cuts both ways like you can put too much value in, in this idea that, that somebody else happens to like the Smiths but there is some value in it. I mean, it can help sort of discern the tribe in some way. Uh, but it's it's uh, you know it's a fun thing to talk about after you see the movie. Yeah. And what about the color blue? Does it hold a special significance to any of you? Yeah. Well, the the design of the movie that we try to take all the primary colors out um, of the wardrobe and the and the set design and stuff, so we could when we did use them, they would be more prominent. And and when we cast Zoe, she has these amazing, extraordinary blue eyes. And so I wanted to emphasize that through the design. And we use the color blue only when she's around on screen. And then one other, there's a dance sequence where we use it as well. But then when you, when she's not on screen, you sense that missing. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's, it doesn't play in that anymore. And I think that's an important sort of subliminal note uh, within the context of the film. There's other sort of, there's a color um, evolution, which is more subtle uh, and varied throughout the movie, and it sort of ends in a different sort of color note. But it's all subtle, and you, unless you're really paying attention, you probably wouldn't notice it, hopefully. And I have to ask you guys, before we turn this over to the audience, has writing and directing this movie made you ultra-wise about love? Like, do you have these crazy <laughs> insights now that you didn't have 10 years ago? Uh, totally. We know everything you about You know everything? Love. Like, you, yeah. yeah. Totally. Uh, I, I will say, nice. though, the writing of the script, mm -hmm. because of the point, the reason why it was being written was to figure stuff out. And the first half of it is certainly uh, was written uh, to take someone down and to be like, how dare you break up with me? That is so wrong. One day you will regret it. I will teach yeah. you. Uh, and in the middle of it, this sort of thing happens to, to, I think it happened to us, and I think it happens to the character, which is she's not the bad guy. She really didn't do anything wrong. Just because she doesn't feel exactly the same as y you do or, or I did or the character does, that does not make her the villain. And that, that was a good revelation to have personally. 
Um, and we talk now like we're really wise about all these things, but uh, after yeah. this Q&A, you can talk to us, and <laughs> it's not... Uh, Actually, I'm going to ask you to write a, glamour, a, column, a column for Glamour about really... Right. I would love to. That would be great. <laughs> <laughs> we should be on The View. That's what I said. We yeah. should be, be on The View. You guys should have like a, like a guy, you know. Yeah. So, all right. Audience? Questions? Do you have any advice for current young film interns? I do, actually, because I, uh, I was an intern who hung around long enough till he got hired. And it's amazing. I've got to say this carefully. <laughs> it's amazing how many bad interns there are. Um, and what I mean by that is people show up on day one and, and uh, think they're going to be directing on day two. Um, look, it's, it sucks often to be an intern. But if you go in knowing you're going to work really hard and meet people and just sort of make yourself indispensable doing the grunt work, I think good things can yeah. come from that. I was an intern, too, on a, on a production, and it was like somebody gave me the best advice I got was always say yes and figure it out. And it's like because it's really easy to be like, I don't, you know, you can ask questions after that, obviously, but like get shit, get, sorry, get stuff done. <laughs> no, it's like the Marines. You, in turn, be the first boots on the ground, be the last boots off. Were you guys actually, I mean, how did you feel when the, the movie was amazingly well received at Sundance? Like my, my co-worker, <laughs> No Man Left Behind, right? Isn't that there? Um, but my coworker who uh, wrote the cover on it, I mean, he, he's been raving about this movie for I don't know how many months. How did you guys, did, did, when did it finally hit you that this movie was being, like, was the star of Sundance, essentially? It still really hasn't. Uh, yeah. Is it it hasn't come out yet. It's supposed <laughs> to come out on Friday. I, I'm hearing it is, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you never know. You watch it um, with with an audience. You sort of get the reaction, and and you you like what that's happening because they're laughing at the right things, and they're not laughing at the things they should not be laughing at, and um, and that's good. But every I feel like every audience is different. I still get nervous every time, and so far I don't think too many people have actually. Uh, seen it having paid twelve dollars. Most of them have seen it for free. Well, they no, they pay for it at the festivals. Uh, okay, well, I'm still nervous. Did you, did you guys have any pressure though from from anyone to kind of give it a happier twist or make it a more? I up, think you know? I think it is a happier twist at the end. Kind we of, always sort of set out talk to. to do a, a hopeful ending, not a happy ending. And uh, the Searchlight people were always on board with that. They never really gave us too many problems. I think that if we had tried to go this the bigger studio route. You would have seen a, an extremely different. And that's, that's thing what I was thinking. Yeah. Finish, yeah. yeah. What was the budget? Two hundred and fifty million dollars. <laughs> no, it was. We like, got most of that. It was like I forget <laughs> what. It was like around seven million. I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about like when you finished the script, like how did it go from being a script to becoming a movie in theaters? Uh, well, with this one, the the first obstacle was was me. Um, I thought it was way personal. I didn't want anyone to look at it, and um, we left it in a drawer for like a, a really long time, um, and then uh, eventually got the nerve to to show it to some people. Uh, I worked in a, at a film company here in New York and um, knew enough people that I could just say, "Would you mind looking at this and and tell me what you think?" And uh, luckily for us, one of them said that they really liked it and wanted to give it to uh, a manager friend. And it sort of took off from there. Um, in the grand scheme of all-time crazy coincidences, our manager's best friends are the producer of the movie and the Searchlight executive on the movie. They were like three amigos. And they all sort of said, let's try to do this, and, uh, and sort of made it, made it happen, which is, which is wonderful, along with uh, another person who, um, 
who kind of plucked our script out of a pile and said, this is fantastic, a different script, and kind of became like our, our big sister in Hollywood and, and helped us get where we are now, which is really great. So. What, what, what made, made you me want, want to branch, branch out, out from doing music, music videos to direct? Well, I had always been a mo uh, fan of movies when I was growing up, and that's when I moved to L.A. I, I wanted to do movies, but there's no wait list for for movie directors. You don't you have to like sort of pitch your where, and that's hard to do. So I I felt like just doing music videos. I started doing like little music videos for my for you know whomever. I actually started out editing, and then um, gradually over nine or ten years um i don't there's i got a little bit more of a career and then once you, i established myself in music videos it was easier to have access to scripts so it was i'd always wanted to do uh movies but the truth is there's storytelling or there can be storytelling in music videos in visual storytelling and that's sort of what's the same about the two the two venues so it was really they're, they're not as dissimilar as some people think they are they are Hi. Um, as the director and screenwriter, did you guys collaborate with the actors of how you wanted them to portray the characters, or did you let the actors do their own thing, or was it a bit of both? Um, well, you know, we there's a little bit of everybody was involved. Like Joe, <clears throat> there's a few examples. I mean, obviously, you talk to actors about their performance and sort of tone of performance and and how they're going to approach it. Um, Joe had had some like what you see when you watch the movie is very much what was in the script, you know? Um, but Joe had, there was a, uh, a section where Joe, we had like a self-help section where he's going to read a self-help book, like the seven steps to getting over her or whatever. And Joe didn't vibe with it. And it's very weird. It's, it's difficult to force an actor to do something. It's sort of a bad recipe if you can't convince them. So we went back and pow out and then these guys came up with another sequence, which was, well, but they haven't seen it. So oh, they haven't seen it yet. We got to be careful. Another, yeah. se uh, another sequence. Where, where he gets bit by a dolphin. Where he gets bit <laughs> by a dolphin. No, exactly. There's no dolphin biting, and um, so yeah, there was some some back and forth, but uh, but yeah. Have you guys gotten any feedback from I guess the, the closest version to the real life summer? <laughs> I had to give the real life summers uh, the script to read, and um, they uh, read it and uh, seemed to be okay with it. One of them uh, said that she related so much to the guy character, <laughs> which really pissed me off. Um, but, uh, but God bless her, they, they, they let us uh, run with it, so that's good. And what are you guys working on next, all three of you? You do this one. We are working on a book called The Spectacular Now, or they just adapted this book by Tim Tharp, which won the National Book Award last year. Um, and it's a it's about a it's a very sort of true version of of this party mongrel in high school whose life is starting to catch up to him. And it's a it's a little, it's it's dark, but it's very sort of sincere and we think uh, kind of com compelling. So that's what we're we're all working on right now. Okay. Did Zoe contribute to the to the soundtrack? Well, you know she she chose her karaoke song. Um, but Zoe, uh, and she, which is, will be on the soundtrack, which comes out tomorrow. Uh, check your iTunes, right? I think. Um, but, you know, 
she actually what she did which was really cool is she bought she brought some music to set occasionally and we would play we were doing scenes without without dialogue she would play it over the loudspeakers in or over the pa and it set a certain mood like i remember she brought in this marian faithful song it's here it's here goes as tears go by which is a rolling stone song which they wrote for her and she's very reactive to music you know she really like it, it really energizes her and we we did some other we did a lot of that at least regina which is another sort of august de marco it was another song that we played in certain scenes in the movie only for us to hear but it really informs her performance and i guess i probably could see it more than other people but but she's obviously fantastic taste in music I was curious what techniques you use to get the main characters to really get into the vision you had, like any kind of coaching or drills or talking to them about in terms who these of people acting? are. Yeah. Well, they're very different actors in terms of process. Like Joe is Joe. We sat for like six weeks beforehand and we met a couple times a week, sometimes more and broke down the script. We went through everything and sort of blocked it out and said these are the emotional beats to it. It's a very technical thing, and he's very intellectual. He's like the swaths of the character and the, the arc of the character is he's going to feel this way here, he's going to feel this way here, and then this is where this changes. It was a very sort of uh, more, I think, academic or intellectual approach. And then when he gets on set, he just sort of lets it go, and he feels it, and it's, it's magical. Zoe is much more intuitive. Like, like when talking to Zoe, you have to... Um, I mean, she was doing uh, press and doing a tour before that we shot the movie, so I didn't get to sit down with her as much. So we rehearsed for a couple of days, and then she um, was really focused on on being alive in the moment. And she would, you know, you could you, you could say, well, you know, your characters, you know, you heard this song on the radio a few years ago when your boyfriend was, and it, it caused an argument. And you can sort of throw in elements of the soup, but you can't, it's, you can't like tell her it's dangerous to get too technical. You know what I mean? She likes to get, she likes to feel it and likes to understand the, the, um, the sort of broad strokes of a scene and let the intuition take over. And that dynamic, um, really worked out well. I mean, Joe is, is such an admirer of her sort of ability to, to, to stay natural. Like she doesn't fake it. She needs to feel what the character feels. And that was a, it was a really powerful, um, uh, chemistry between the two of them. I felt like, and I was actually wondering, was the role, re well, I don't want to say role reversal, but there is some role reversal in the movie where normally in any kind of romantic movie, it's the girl who is pining for the guy and the guy who's kind of backing off. And was this always set up the way it you was? You know, it's, it's funny. We, we never really thought of it that way. Uh, and, and to be honest, um, my friends and, and all of us sort of sit around and, and talk feelings and relationships and emotions all the time and uh we we hear now that like we intentionally set out to sort of flip that thing on its head and we really just said you know this was a, a, a guy gets his heart broken just as often as a as a woman does and why not why would we try to switch the genders yeah, it's really refreshing to see yeah. that because you don't normally you don't normally i mean yeah. normally it's funny the way women it's really up. it's funny it's it, like guys <laughs> have it's it's amazing it's a, typically it's billed as a romantic comedy and women like it but guys like when they tested it guys liked it even more than women but women really like the fact that that there's a guy who actually has feelings represented in a, in a movie so it's, a, it's just an interesting sort of surprising consequence of that which we didn't didn't foresee didn't guys it had the highest score with men but they were less likely to recommend it yeah which is kind of funny guys yeah. just sit around like watching monday night football like hey you got to go see that new romantic comedy right <laughs> 
going to make you cry. Yeah. I think that you're always going to have to make compromises. I think that it's probably wise uh, to do it in advance of, you know, showing it to other people. You have to, you, you want to make a film. And that's the, the, the main issue with screenwriting is that all we're really providing is a blueprint for a film. Uh, if you're going to direct that film and someone will give you the money to make a 180 page, 180 minute thing, that's fantastic. Um, but what you're really putting down on paper is, so, is a, as close to a, a blueprint for the movie you'd like to go see that someone else is then going to do. Uh, I think also, I mean, even if you're Lynch, this is a collaborative medium. You, you have to let other people in. Um, I, I think for us, it was helpful that we had both worked uh, at a production company. Scott worked in development. We were on the other side of the fence. So we knew that we had seen, we had been there for the life cycle of the script after it leaves the writers. And we knew what, what reading habits were, how they were discussed in meetings, you know, what the producers would look at over the weekend. I think having some of that insight helps us in terms of when we sort of, before we send it off, uh, anticipating like how it's gonna live beyond us. And they do in fact tell David Lynch and, and Michael Cimino what to do all the time. Uh, they really don't, you know, yeah. they, they can't, no one has, you know, the freedom to do whatever they want because it's it's the most expensive medium there is, uh, the most expensive art form that there is, and uh, you know we're we're trying in the end to to make people come and and see it. So you got to play by at least some rules. We always say like, you know, our, obviously our first obligation is to do good work, but after that, a close second, we we want to be the people that they want to work with again. So that a big part of that is sort of letting them in and and you know keeping everyone involved. Yeah. I think uh, for me, as far as the music video thing goes, I think the difference between a music video and a, and this is a very broad difference and it changes depending on what music video you're doing, but music video, you're selling a song and you're, or you're trying to pitch a song to the audience and like there's editing that supports that. There's, there's a certain style that supports that. But in this movie, what was different is you're trying to, you're putting somebody, you're putting, trying to put the audience in somebody's shoes. You're trying to get the audience to connect to a character and see the world from his point of view. And over a long period of time, that requires a certain sustained, um, uh, you know, you can't rely on tricks as much as you can. You can't cut to a close up of the singer. You have to rely on a character and you have to rely on people. You have to, you know, respect the audience and say, well, they're going to they're gonna want to know what happens next. You got to keep them intrigued and compelled for that long of a period. Uh, and that's that's really the that sustainability is the is the is the tricky thing I think. Oh, the soundtrack. So um, yeah, there's scenes like the there's a scene at the end um, where we it was a montage which we which I wrapped around a song called um, Wolf Mother by Vag or uh, Vagabond by Wolf Mother, and I I sort of. The screen, this the scene was written, but then I I sort of constructed it around that song and made some of the beats so that that it would inform the architecture of the scene. And that happened a few times that I knew. Actually, most of the time I knew what the music was going to be beforehand. It wasn't the music didn't necessarily um, hinge on the music. The scene didn't hinge on the music, but the music was very important to inform the tone. How did you guys first? Um, how did you guys first break into the mu um, film industry? I was a an I met actually the, I met a guy at Sundance. I was a volunteer at Sundance Film Festival, parking cars, 
And this guy, I ended up working for a guy who I met there as like an assistant editor or an assistant. And then he taught me how to edit. And then I edited for a while and then gradually met some people through that and started to direct little music videos and so on. Uh, I started interning here in New York for film companies when I was uh, very young. And I did it every summer, uh, you know, through college. And um, I became kind of like the person who would read every script there was. And a lot of times, uh, you know, I worked for a producer who didn't necessarily want to read 15 scripts a day. And I said, I'll read all of them. Give them to me. I have nothing else to do. Uh, and you ride the subway a lot, so it's great. And I ended up being a, a pretty fast reader that they hired me after college to basically just do that. And um, then I was there for four years, basically, at the company until I decided uh, that I wanted to try something else and explore what else I could do besides read. It was very literate. I was, um, I was at uh, Syracuse University, and... Uh, I couldn't afford to go away, go away on spring break, and I, um, I just took the phone book. I had no connections or anything and called every production company in New York and uh, met Scott, um, and we sat down. He sat down to interview me, and we had just recently seen Rushmore, and I think we spent like a half hour talking about how much we both loved Rushmore. Um, and then I interned there for a summer and then interned again when I graduated and kind of just, like I said, hung around until I got hired. Do we have another clip? I am. Buy something. That's so nice. Thank you. You shouldn't have. Yeah, it's the, That's so nice. Thank you yeah, so much. No problem. I'm excited to read it. Yeah. <laughs> so, Tom, what is it that you do? I, uh, I write greeting cards. But Tom could be a really great architect if he wanted to be. That's unusual. I mean, what made you go from one to the other? I guess I just figured, why make something disposable, like a building, when you can make something that lasts forever? Like a greeting card. <laughs> oh, abrupt end. Uh, so, <laughs> that, that's, you, you don't have to clap, it's fine. We'll be okay. Uh, that's such a different experience when you see it. Yeah, in the movie. Out of, yeah when you see it in the movie, what, what's happening there is, Scott, you can set it up. How do you set it up? Ah, well, um, it's basically. <laughs> It's hard to talk about that scene yeah. without... It's an important scene in the movie. It's a very important it scene. It culminates in, in a way that's really awesome. And what we're doing is we have... We're, the whole pr movie is told from the perspective of this person. And he's, you, you will start to realize wh while you're watching it that he's not the most reliable uh, person to tell you this story. And one of the issues that he has is that he uh, is a very hopeful kind of person who always thinks about... Um, Things are going to work out. It's just going to work out. Eternal so optimist, yeah. We show this scene. This is a very important... Uh, he goes to a party at her place. Um, and on the left, we show what he hopes is going to happen that night. And on the right, we show exactly what is going to happen, what happens. Uh, and we show them simultaneously. And um, that's that. you'll see what happens. It's a very interesting uh, moment in the movie. But there's really nice music playing underneath it, too. Yeah. And it'll move you. Any 
Right. And um, with songs that maybe you could not get the rights for, how did that influence the film maybe in ways that you weren't happy? Sure. Well, I mean, the the there was a lot of, I mean, it was a big process. We started it long before we actually started to shoot the movie. Um, luckily, I mean, I had had some relationships with like Regina Spector. I'd done a couple of videos for Regina Spector. And so I knew I could probably get the rights to that. Um, there was bigger songs like the Smiths, uh, and Hall and Oates, which are both in this movie, which we have, we are not a big budget movie, but there was, uh, they were very integral to the texture of the script, the Smiths in particular. We ended up writing a lot of letters. We wrote yeah. a lot of personal letters to them. It, it was just a lot of personal appeals. Saying, Those letters hey. were a little creepy at times. Dear Morrissey. <laughs> yeah, it was. It actually yeah. was. Kind it of, was, yeah. I, and I don't know if they were ever read or not, but we, <laughs> well, yeah. we did send so them. I like reading them. Yeah. But there uh, is one song that we didn't get, which was... We ended up writing Cinderella, an entire scene around it, too. Every Rose has a thorn. Yeah. We, yeah. We, did, we tried to use a Bruce Springsteen song, and yeah. he doesn't license a couple of his, his bigger songs. and um, We wanted... We, yeah. We ended up writing a scene around the fact that we couldn't get that song, uh, which yeah, you Summer know. was going to sing "Born to Run" as karaoke, and we couldn't get the rights to it. But we still had this great Bruce joke, which, <laughs> if when you see the movie, it'll make sense. Uh, uh, but that was sort of a, that there's still a residue of our hopes, right? But that didn't work out. But otherwise, I mean, we other than that, we got all the music that we needed to get, and it was uh, part of it. Though it's not. There's a lot of pop songs. I mean, like the Hall and Oates stuff that's more traditional, but they're, it's not like we're not licensing Flow Rida, which costs you know five hundred thousand dollars or whatever. You know, we it's it's mostly sort of B sides and stuff that's a little bit older, which was easier to access. For we us. had a terrific music supervisor too, who really yeah. busted. And Andrea busted von Forster was a was great, and Amy Driscoll at Fox was really awesome too. Let's make that the last question. Uh, I thought it was awesome because I, I thought it was very well I directed. directed it. <laughs> uh, but the um, <laughs> that's good that you saw that. We did that like it was such a random thing. Is this MS? There's a Cinemash series that that Microsoft sort of like just let us go and shoot a recreate a Sid and Nancy a scene from Sid and Nancy uh, with Joe and Zoe. But Zoe is playing Sid and Joe is playing Nancy, uh, and it's on it's online. You can check it out. But um, but that was that was fun to do. And then um, sorry, what was the other one? How long? It was tw twenty nine days shoot. Wow, that's that's that's. Yes. You guys work around the clock. This is crazy. Well, cool. Thank you guys so much. Thank, Thank you. Thanks for coming out. Thank, Thank you. you. Make sure you guys go see the movie on Friday. July seventeenth. Check it.